0: Christ. and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the in the flesh, this will be fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard pressed for both directions. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for all your progress and joy in the faith. So that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Good afternoon. It's great to see each one of you. It's wonderful uh, to worship God. I can't think of anything. Uh, greater to do on this planet and together, together with Christians and to raise our voices in songs of praise to speak to our Heavenly Father in prayer to open up His Word, to show reverence and honor to Him. It's just glorious. And of course hopefully it fires us all up so that we go out in a brighter light in a world that needs to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Uh, Indeed, that is true. So it is wonderful to see each one of you, and there was uh, uh, a lot of good food here every week, but there was a lot of good food here this week. I ate probably more than I should have, uh, so I'll have to walk a little bit more to burn off some calories, but (laughs) no. So, um, you know, it's kind of interesting when I think about the title I gave this lesson, and it kind of comes from the talks, but you choose. You choose. It's kind of like uh, just having our meal together. You walk through that line and you chose what you wanted to put on your plate. You know, sometimes people bring things that aren't going on my plate. And they might bring mashed potatoes. Or they might bring liver and onions. They might bring some stuff I just don't like. Now, I'm glad some of the rest of you like it, and that doesn't bother me. You. you can eat all that you want of that. And, uh, some of you might be those people that think life is uncertain, so eat dessert first. So you just go over there and do that. <laughs> but, and Jamie knows that I really like that broccoli salad as long as it doesn't have cauliflower in it. And I'm always thankful because she likes cauliflower, so when it doesn't have cauliflower in it, I know she did away with what she liked for what I like, so I appreciate that. Uh, she doesn't need to do that, but she should. But no. I, but anyway, no, you look at that. So see, we're going to take what we choose. You know, we have to answer for what we choose, don't we? If you eat too much of the wrong thing, it can bother you. And some of you might have certain things, uh, digestive tract and all that. If you eat the wrong thing, you'll know it later. And uh, sometimes people have blood sugar things and they eat too much sugar and now mess them all up that way. So you, you, you know there's cost for what you choose. I think about all the way back in Joshua chapter 24, and uh, verse 15 where Joshua says, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. But he told them first, you choose whom you're gonna serve. You know, that's what it is. Sometimes I think people would be a lot better off if they let me make their choices. But I don't get who to make people's choice. Sometimes I can even give them a message, but it's up to them. It's what they choose. You know, we're all gonna answer before God on what we choose. Well, this is kind of an interesting passage in here when Paul says, uh, I really don't know what to choose here. I don't know whether to really be ready, just let's go home to heaven right now, or whether I should really ask the Father, let me stay on here to be able to do more work. So you think about this in the passage that was just read for us, for me to live as Christ and die as gain. Let me tell you what, the verses 23 through 26 make no sense unless 21 is true. Without verse 21 first being absolutely true, the rest of this is ridiculous. When he says, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. If your life isn't all about, I don't mean partially, I don't mean a little part of it, I don't even mean a great part of it, if your life's not about Jesus, if that's not why we live, if that's not what it's about, I mean, people, you can enjoy a lot of things, but what do you live for? What is the purpose in which you live? It's kind of like I explain people. Some of us are fortunate that we get to make a livelihood doing what we are. Some people make a livelihood just doing a job every day. You know, I explain it this way. Uh, growing up in South Central Kansas, you know I, I've got people there that I know that have farmed, but then I know people that are farmers. There's a difference. The people that are farmer, even if you take them off the farm and you put them in the city working at Boeing aircraft, they're just farmers working at Boeing. I mean, they are farmers to the core. And I mean, even when they can't farm, all they think about is farming. That's all they, they, I mean, they eat, drink, sleep, it's all about it. You know, I always told people, we don't need many people to preach, we need preachers, and there's a big difference. We need people who that's who they are, they can't just, they can't hardly sit still. And you think about that as a Christian, that's what he's saying. He says, for me, give me a chance, I'm going to get around to Jesus on something somewhere. I think about how playing is something I work with harder more and more all the day, all the time, and I try to be this way, and I'm on this way quite a bit. But I try to remember what James 4 says, and remember to say, "Yeah, I'm going to do this or this if the Lord wills." If the Lord wills, you know. Sometimes, have you noticed we usually use that more, or maybe sometimes only when we're talking about someone's physical health? Well, that's ridiculous. Everything is if the Lord wills. And we need to really desire in our lives, even if we don't know what it is, no matter what the cost is, that the Lord's will be done in our life. So when he says, for me to live is Christ, well, what's the next thing? He says, I'm telling you what, dying. That sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? And, uh You know, I've I've been in a room with families several times when the person they've been there praying for leaves this life and dies. I've watched people, their body fighting to keep that life in them. And finally the struggle's over and I've watched other people pass pretty comfortably. Death. That's pretty absolute. On the physical side, but see, Paul says, "I know there's something wrong on the other side of dying," and he says, "To die is gain. No matter what I get here, I'm telling you what there's something better on the other side." You know, we have to keep telling ourselves, and we have to keep reminding ourselves of that all the time, because you get thinking it's all about here. It's all about what we have here, and so we have to remember that. So in this passage, he says live or die what am I going to choose he says but if I live all in the flesh look what he says if I live all in the flesh this means fruitful labor for me and I do not know which to choose what's he mean this fruitful labor for me well If I continue to live, then I can preach the gospel more. I can encourage brethren more. I can get people to repent more. I can help more people obey the gospel and be baptized into Christ. I mean, if I keep on living, I can keep doing the Lord's work here. So when you think about that, he kind of says, dying is kind of selfish because that's about what I get out of it. But he says, if I'm gonna live, I'm just not gonna to live to enjoy life. I'm gonna live in it. but he says I'm hard pressed. I'm hard pressed from both directions, having a desire to depart and be with Christ. Some days you feel more like that than others, don't you? Well I have about enough of this. I'm about ready to be out of here. Put up with enough foolishness, did enough this man been through the ringer, hadn't he? He said, I'm I'm kind of hard-pressed. You get this idea it's getting later in his life, and he's kind of worn out. He said, I don't know how much more of this I can handle. Hmm. Yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Do you notice that? To remain on the flesh didn't have anything to do with what he wanted. It was more for the brethren. So for the brethren's sake... I think I'm probably going to live on the flesh so he says I'm probably going to have to stay out of heaven for a while longer because you need me to wow that is impressive convinced of this I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy and faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again There's a passage I like so much, and you guys know I do. And uh, last time we had a devotional, I asked uh, Tim to read it for us, and he did over in uh, Romans chapter 14. You guys know the verse well. I'll slow down and read it today instead of just rattling off. He says, for not one of us lives for himself, not one of us died. You know what that just said? I'm not in this for me. Isn't that what that just said? I'm not in this just for me. You know, you think about that being the church. We're very blessed. We're part of this congregation where everyone loves each other. And we're in to help each other. You know, you look around, you see the people that aren't here, and you just want to, when you get out of here, you want to reach out to them one way or another and encourage them to let them know how much they've missed. And it's nice when you're on the receiving end of that and people let you know that you're missed. And so you think about that, but he says, not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. But then he goes on and says, for if we live, we live for the Lord. Hmm. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Sounds like this goes back to the where we started. Hmm. It's all about the Lord. So whether we live or die, we are the Lord. So you know what that means? We're owned just like a slave is owned by his master. So I'm here to do the Lord's will. I'm not here to do my will. I'm not even here to do your will. I'm here to do the Lord's will. He says, because I belong to him. Whatever he wants, I'm going to do. So when he says, back over here where we started in Philippians, and he says, but if I live on, in the flesh, it'll mean fruitful labor. But for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You know, you think about Paul also in Galatians 2 and verse 20. He says, For I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He did say it's because of faith, but you look at that, and he says, It's not me anymore. It's just, it's a, so, you know, you think about that. So, I guess... You guys think back to some people. You remember Peter used to be Cephas, and Paul used to be Saul, and Kendall used to be Kendall, but Kendall's now Christian now. You ever think about that? Your name changed. Now you're Christian. You know, I'm I'm good with the term brother and sister, but you're Christian, Kendall Fox. What's that? You're Christ-like, Kendall Fox. That's what that word means. So, we fail we but we try hard, right? And when we fail, we own up to it and move forward to be better. But he said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. I put that old man of sin to death. Fruitful labor. Oh, man, I could say so much about fruitful labor. But while we think about fruitful labor, turn to one passage with me on this point. Go over to uh, John chapter 15. John 15, he talks about a vine and a vine dresser. Jesus says he is the vine and his Father in heaven and our Father in heaven is the vine dresser. And he tells us, I'm not going to read the whole thing, you can look, starting there, verse 1. And he says here that we have to realize that if a vine ...has a branch... ...that doesn't bear fruit... ...that branch is going to be cut off... ...and where the branches ...and thrown into fire... ...and even in verse 5... He, ...Jesus says... ...just like a branch can't stay alive... ...separated from the vine... ...that me without Jesus... ...is just as dead... ...I can do nothing... ...can't produce any fruit... ...but jump all the way down later in here... ...in this uh, context in chapter 15. Go to verse 16. You do not choose me, but I chose you. Now wait a minute. When I became a Christian, I chose Jesus in my life. Who did the choosing first? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he fought a battle, didn't he? But then he says, Not my will, but thine be done. And he chose me to the point his back was laid raw like hamburger. He allowed people to spit in his face. People slapped his face. People hit him with a reed or a rod. They drove a crown of thorns on his head. They drove nail spikes to his hands and his feet. And hung him naked on a cross for all to see and for him to be ridiculed. And he breathed his last breath there. But let me tell you what, no one killed him. He gave his life. He was in control all the time. We sing the song. It's an understatement of the Bible, so I'm okay with that. At least it doesn't overstate it. It says, we sing a song he could have called 10,000 angels. Well, that's true. About 12 legions is a lot more than 10,000. So the point was, he could have stopped it. He was in control the whole time. So then why in the world did he do it? He chose me over his own life and his own comfort. I mean, I don't need to, I know he died for everyone in the world, but sometimes I gotta make him perfect. He did that for Kendall Fox. What kind of person would I be if he did that for me and I won't even live for him? I won't even share his I won't even tell the story to anybody. What kind of person would I be? Scum. You just think about how important that is to understand how great it is. So you look at this passage here in John 15 and verse 16. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and pointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, it will be given to you. Now, why did he do all this? Why did he choose you? Listen, this verse says it wasn't just so you could go to heaven. Did you catch that? This verse says he didn't choose you just so you could go to heaven. Now, I understand the go to heaven part, and i love to talk about that part. But he says, the reason I chose you is so you would go and do what? Bear fruit. So we're to be fruit bearers? That's why he chose us. I chose you so you'd bear fruit, Gimbal. So if I'm not... Bearing fruit, am I not doing what He chose me to do? Wow! That's what He chose me for. Think about that. He chose us to bear fruit. So when Paul would write and say, well, the reason I believe I will continue on in the flesh in Philippians chapter 1 is because it will mean fruit for labor. Because he understood, my whole life is about forgiveness presenting and conducting my life in a way that will produce fruitful labor. Fruitful labor is labor that brings... You ever worked real hard and accomplished nothing because you really wouldn't? A lot of people work... You know, I, I think about that all the time, and I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I still don't understand the people that will stand out on an arm ramp in the snow and the cold and the rain and everything else, wanting someone to stop and give them money and they'll work hard at that when right next to them is a place that says they're hiring. You know, sometimes, I'm not trying to be mean, but, you know, I've met more than one one person that's homeless because they want to be homeless. I've met people who want to be in those situations, who want what they have. You know, they're not willing to. You know, I talked to a guy once He says, man, I just can't make ends meet. We well, got to work more. I already work 40 hours a week. I said, well, you might have to work 60. You might have to get a 20-hour part-time job. Anyone that owns their business said, man, 40 hours a week. I wish we worked for you. But you know, you look at that. It's just like, come on, get real. You know, all I know is, you know what? You do more. You do more. Well, being fruitful, does it take a lot more work to be? Let's say you're, you've got this plant. I don't care what it is in your garden. And you just plant it out there. And you let all the weeds come up around it and everything. You might get some fruit. Let's say it's a tomato plant. You might get some tomatoes. But wouldn't that tomato plant produce more tomatoes if you kept the weeds out of the way and you kept the ground broke up a little bit and you made sure it could get a little water when it needed it? and maybe some kind of fertilizer or something. You know, it can be much more fruitful, but you know what? It will take more work. You know, from the time I was a kid, I hate gardening. I hate it. A lot of people, a lot of you love gardening. I hate gardening. I don't mind eating pro- product of gardens. But, uh, but uh, I grew up in Kansas. There's big farm equipment. And if you can't drop something that's going to take 20 feet or 40 foot at a time, we're kind of spinning our wheels. But no, my mom had a garden. And I don't know. I, I never fell in love with a hoe. Hole, hole weeds is for the birds. And I didn't like that. And that's part of having a good, if you're going to have a really nice garden, whether it's vegetables or flowers or whatever, it's going to take work. If you see a really, you know someone spent a lot of time doing that. Well, you know what? To be a fruitful Christian, it's going to take a lot of time and effort. Paul definitely spent the time and effort. You go on, he said, I'm hard pressed in both directions. I'm hard-pressed in both directions. I don't know which to choose. Whether to die and be with Christ, that's very much better. Or to continue on here and just produce the fruit that I need to produce for you and to help you to be stronger in your faith. Let's look at just a couple of, couple of passages that I think are interesting. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. We, we quote verse 7 a lot, but I'm going to read 6, 7, and 8. Therefore, being always of good courage, that's you, right? You're always a good, I'm ready, let's get it on. Being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, I'm here, I'm absent from the Lord. There's something I say to people a lot. Matter of fact, when I was up at the lectureship at St. Peter, someone says, Well, Kimba, how you been? All oh, miserable. You are? Yeah, I'm here. I could be in heaven. I'm miserable. Well, that's kind of a point. I'm not miserable, but it would be better to be there. It's very much better. You know, we got to get what we think about that a lot, don't we? It's very much better if we were in heaven. He says, while I'm here, I don't get to be there. It's much better to be there. For we walk by faith and not by sight. I've never been to heaven, you know that? I've never seen it. Never seen any pictures of it. Never talked to anybody personally that's been there. But by faith, I know it's more beautiful than I can imagine. I know it's greater than I could ever dream of. And I trust that with all my heart because we walk by faith and not by sight. For we walk by faith and not by sight, we are of good courage. I say I prefer rather to be absent from the body and be home with the Lord. You know, I've talked to people like that that have dealt with a lot in their lives, and sometimes they might be in their laying in a hospital bed, or maybe they're even at their home or whatever in their life, and they've lived a life and said, and more than one person says, Kendall, just pray. If it's the Lord will, if He'll go ahead and take me home. I'm tired. And if, if if he would allow it, I'd rather just go and be home. You know, that is someone who's pretty secure about where they are spiritually when you say something like that. Whether they're right or not, they're secure with where they are spiritually. Wow. We've got to keep our heads on straight about that. Look at one over in John 12 with me. John 12. Um, go down to verse 24 of John 12. Truly, truly. Oh, that's one truly, truly passage as we look down on the way night. Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So let's, I can bring you some, because in Kansas there's wheat everywhere. i just, I can bring you some wheat home. I can each give you one grain of wheat. I'll give you two grains of wheat, okay? And I'll tell you what I want you to do with one of them. One of them, I want you to set on a plate and just leave it set up somewhere in your house, just a little grain of wheat. Just leave it there. Don't, don't get any water on it. Just leave it there. And you know what? It's just going to remain one grain of wheat. But I'll tell you something that's kind of interesting. Winter wheat will about grow when nothing will grow. I'm telling you, you can about, if we put in a crack in this floor and watered it, it'll grow wheat. I'm not kidding you. So you can take that little grain of wheat and you can go out and clean a little place of dirt off and you plant it and water it. And in a week, there's going to be a little sprout of wheat there. And if you keep that thing where it's going, I don't care. You know, if you're like me, you got chickens, whatever, you can come up with uh, organic fertilizer. But you keep a little nutrition, that little thing will grow up, and it'll produce a whole grain, a whole head of wheat with a whole lot of grains of wheat on it. Hmm. It's no good if it just, you just leave it sitting on the plate. That's his point. If it doesn't die, if it doesn't give up its life, it can't produce more life, and so as we read on it says truly truly i say to you unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies it remains alone but if it dies it bears much fruit he who loves his life loses it and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life if anyone serves me he must follow me and where i am there my servant will be also if anyone serves me the father will honor him wow just do what the Lord said. Realize that eternal life is so much better than physical existence. Sometimes it happens as you get older or as your uh, health fails or as some serious illness comes upon people. They tend to focus on this a little better, don't they? The longer we live, the closer we know we're to the end. I don't know, you can die anytime, but you definitely know if you get enough decades on you, you're a lot closer than you used to be. And so you realis- realistically you think, man, I got to make sure I got this right. So sometimes when you're young, you can fool yourself and think you got all the time in the world. It's like the guy who said, "Well, I'll come to the Lord in the 11th hour," but the problem is they died at 10:30. You can't wait too long, and I don't know when it's going to happen because the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. So he said, I'm hard pressed. But he said, I'll tell you what, I do know that if my life ends, I'm in a much better place. Now, I'm going to say this now. If you're not sure of that, then you fix it when we have this invitation song. There is no reason not to be sure that if your life ends, you're not right with the Lord. He says, I'm hard pressed. And while you're living here, you get on with the work. We shouldn't have to go around and beg everybody to do this or do that. People ought to be standing in line to do any good work we have available to us. Hard-pressed in both directions. But go back. I want to hit one more point real quick, and the lesson will be yours. Back over here, as we get here in Philippians chapter 1, and we look on down here at verse 24. 25 and 26 he said i'm convinced i know that i will remain on for your progress your joy and your faith i'm i am convinced that for your sake i'm going to live on i'm convinced because there's still work that will be beneficial to the brethren that i'm going to live longer now he didn't have a problem he didn't claim to know whether he's going to live forever but he says there's still work to do so i think the lord is going to keep me here longer Wow, jump back. Chapter 2 and verse 3 of this same book. He says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important. Isn't that what he just did in this statement? I know for your sake, not for my sake, for your sake, Look on down at verse 16 of chapter 2. Holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. But he ran and toiled, didn't he? He ran. Let me ask you. What takes more energy, to sit or to walk? Now let me ask you this. What takes more energy, to walk or to run? Run it and make you huff and puff, won't it? I did not toil. That's work, toil. I did even to the point of sweat labored. So he broke a sweat doing this. And I ran, but I didn't do it uselessly. You know, you think about people, I like to watch people who go in and they run on a treadmill. You know, that's kind of funny if you think about it a lot of energy, but you're not going anywhere. It won't get you. In, you just stand I know they're doing that for the benefits of the exercise, but you don't get to go see anyone. You're not getting anywhere. Run. You know, in my opinion, it's a lot easier to run if you're to run on and see something new. Get somewhere. But he said, let's understand I'm doing this, and those toils are not in vain. I did not do this in vain. And so I think about other passages we're pretty familiar with. Uh, one of them's over in uh, Matthew uh, 5 and verse 16. Everyone knows I love that verse if you know me at all. But I think about it a lot. Kendall, you got to let your light so shine before men, before others that they see your good works and tell you how great you are. Oh no, that's not what I said. I don't care if they see how great I am. I don't care if they remember my name that they may see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. If we can help anybody glorify the Father in heaven, I know sometimes go to preaching school or whatever, speak in the chapel. Sometimes, and the next time I go to chapel and speak over it, Springfield, I'll probably mention this. It's about time. It's been a few years since I mentioned it, so I have a new student body there to deal with. But I said one of the things, and I I used one word to catch them off guard, and then we talk about it a little bit more with another word. But I said, as preachers, you need to learn to become invisible. They look at me strange. Another word might be transparent. You need them to hear the message come out of your mouth, but you need them to see Jesus and not you. Whether they ever remember you, if they can come to know the Lord, and obey Him, even if they don't ever remember your name. God remembers who you are. And God remembers the work you did. And it isn't about making a name for you. Matter of fact, Acts 4 and verse 12 says, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So I don't care which one of our names we put in there. Compared to Jesus, there's no value in our names. That is the name that is the one and only. Jesus said, like this in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes a Father except by me. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father's name, that they may hear your good messages. and Well, they can hear you, but they got to see it. You know, they got to not just hear you say it, they got to see you do it. Sometimes people talk a good talk but they don't walk a good walk. Have you ever heard people say, I don't want to do with Christianity because they're all a bunch of hypocrites? You know why? Because too many people talk a good talk, but they don't do nothing. And they don't follow through with anything. You know, I I take it as a compliment. I've told you guys this before. When I meet people, I just met a guy this last week on construction job, talking to him, and we talked a little while. Anyway, we talked some, and he, I said, well, really what I am is, I said, yeah, I do some of this, but I'm really a preacher. And he looks at me, oh, okay. And so I give him a business card and everything, invite him to come worship with someone. And the next day he said, you know, I, I don't want to insult you, but I would have never thought you were a preacher. I said, is my language that bad? He kind of laughed. He said, no, but you don't you don't act like most preachers. I said, hmm. act bad? No, no, no. And I said, well, what do you think of most preachers? And he kind of looked at me I said, so you don't like most preachers? No, not usually. I said, why? He said, because a lot of them say a whole lot, but don't do much. Hmm. Well, I guess if I don't bring that across, maybe I'm bringing something right across. Because we need to be able to act upon what we teach. Now turn on over to Matthew chapter 7. And then I'll make after we read this, we'll make one final point. And I think this is so important. And not in this Bible, but one of my old Bibles. I was flipping through the other day, and by this text, it had little um, mark. And then here's what it said in the over here on the side. It said, "Fruit inspectors." Fruit inspectors. Do you know where they're supposed to be? Fruit inspectors. Fruit inspectors. We're supposed to inspect the fruit. Look look and see if that's not what this says. Here in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 17. So every good tree bears good fruit, and every bad tree bears bad fruit. How do you know the tree's good? It makes good fruit. How do you know it's bad? It makes bad fruit. Now, I'll tell you what. uh, Persimmons, if you wait the right time of year, and they're good enough, they taste good. If they don't, they'll give you cotton mouth. But those persimmons, fruit that I think's the worst I ever ate, and I had a friend who liked it, you ever ate something called a quince? Don't. Man, that's like, when it's good, it's like a persimmon when it's bad. I mean, it's a nasty, that's it. so if it's got a quince, I'm not eating that thing, that's a bad food. Now, you wanna, you know, where I grew up, we have lots of apple trees, they're called hedge apples, big old green things. And if it gets a tough winter, the deer will eat them and the squirrels will eat them. And if they eat them, they're not fit to eat. And if you don't think so, you let me know. I'll bring one in and I'll cut it open for you. It keeps spiders away even though, don't it, Gloria? Even spiders are afraid of it. But I'll let you taste some and you'll only taste it once. Whoa, it's terrible. So when I see a hedge apple, that's a hedge tree. I can tell you a lot about that kind of tree. But anyway, that is not one I want to eat. So we got to inspect the fruit. See if it's good fruit. So he says, you know a good tree by good fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor a bad tree produce good fruit. Now, where I grew up in Kansas, there's only trees... Growing in fence rows, okay? We call them wind rows where I grew up because they were grown to break the wind. And usually what they are, there's a few kinds of trees, but the most predominant trees there are going to be hedge trees and mulberry trees. Now, as a kid, I spent a lot of time climbing up in a mulberry tree. And you get purple hands and a purple mouth. But man, I, if you ask me, still, I think mulberries is one of the best berries to eat in the world. I think best flavor, best anything. I think it's better than any raspberry, blackberries, any berry, I think mulberry is better flavored than all of them. But so you got a black you got a mulberry tree and a hedge tree. Well, I can tell which one's which by these little berries that are purplish-black-looking things, mulberries, and a big green old thing. I, I'm climbing this tree and eating. This is a good tree. It's a mulberry tree. Oh, I'd set up in the trees and eat for hours. Climb from one limb to another limb, eating them little mulberries. And so you look at that. I can tell which one's good and which one's bad by the fruit. Is it that easy to tell? By what we produce in our life, by whether we're good or bad, every tree that does not produce or does not bear good fruit is cast down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruit. Well, you know what? Mulberries or hedge apples don't grow off of me. So, what's it talking about? What we produce in our lives what people see in us, what they hear from us, what product do we produce? I mean, are we producing godly speech? Are we producing a godly message? Are we producing a godly lifestyle? If they did what we do, will they be welcomed into heaven? And if we can see that the product that they're producing is contrary to God's message, it's bad fruit. Therefore, it's a bad tree we got to inspect the fruit. Well, here's also one thing I know about fruit, okay? Do you know sometimes it takes time before the fruit arrives? You know, if you plant a little tree and it's just a little stick about this big, does it produce fruit on that tree the first year or the second year? It's got to take some years. And even when it does on one year, can you tell what fruit it produces in the spring by looking at the tree? No, we got to get to the harvest time of the year, don't we? You'll see blossoms and stuff, but you don't eat the blossoms. The fruit is going to be produced where the blossom is. You know, when all the blossoms on it look so pretty and smells so nice, but that's still not the fruit. We've got to wait and see what it produces. Sometimes it takes time. So I think back here, real quick to Philippians chapter one. I love this passage. It said, I don't know which to choose. I know what is better. I know what is better. I still like verse 23. One of my favorite statements in the Bible is when he says in verse 23, but I'm hard pressed from both directions. have a desire to be with Christ and this is it. For that is very much better. Did you notice he didn't say it's better to be with Christ? Did you know that? He didn't say it's much better to be with Christ. He didn't say that either. He said to be with Christ is very much better than living here. So it's not better than living here. It's not much better than living here. It's very much better. Let's make sure we all live a life so that when Christ returns, when our existence here ends, that we're welcomed in eternal bliss. And let's remember to stay focused on the things that are eternal. And until Christ comes or until our life ends, listen, brothers and sisters, we need to be about bearing fruit. If there's any way we can help you today with your relationship with God so that your life is fruitful towards Him, please come as we stand and sing.